0: Hey everybody, how are y'all tonight? It's great to have you at Genesis, great to have those that are in from North Greenville or Clemson or if you've been away and you're back, we're glad that you're back. Uh, This is part three in our series called Uncommon Christmas and uh, last week we, uh, we saw how the angel Gabriel came to Zachariah to Joseph and to Mary, and he told them that they would have a part to play in the coming of the Messiah. So we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, <clears throat> this is a very uncommon Christmas for the, the very first Christmas, Mary and Joseph and all everything that they experience. So inside Mary's womb is this baby boy that's conceived by the Holy Spirit, and <clears throat> They are to, it just so happened to be at a time where there was going to be a census. And everybody needed to go back to the city that their family was from. And Joseph was a descendant of King David. And the city of David is Bethlehem. It's not that far from Jerusalem. It's really only about five miles. But Mary is pregnant. And this time, this is right about the due date. And so he puts her on a donkey and they ride to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, the baby is ready. And maybe it was the ride over, or it was just time, but the baby was coming. And so they knock on the door of the inn, and, hey, do you have a room? We need a room. This is an emergency. My wife's about to give birth. Okay, we need your help. We need something. We need you to pull together something for us, kick somebody out of their room. Hey, give us your room, you know? Whatever it takes, but there's no room for them. At the end. And so all they have to offer them is this stable outback. And so Mary gives birth to Jesus in a stable, probably to the sounds of sheep and goats and camels. And she gives birth, and she wraps them up in swaddling clothes. And, and she cleaned out a, a manger, cleaned it out, probably put some hay in it to make it nice and soft. And they lay Jesus down, and there he is, the Messiah, the Savior in the form of this little baby. By the time the baby was a small child, this may have been up to two years later. Wise men from the east had seen a star, and they had understood some of the prophecies that Savior would be born in Bethlehem. But they followed the star and they find Jesus as a, as a small child. And they, they worship him. And these wise men, we don't really know if there's three of them. A lot of times we think it's three because they gave him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And a lot of times we think because it's three gifts, there's three wise men, each with one gift. But this is what they brought to him, and they worship Jesus. And so <clears throat> everything... Everything was going according to God's plan, but Mary and Joseph are kind of on for this wild ride because after the wise men leave, Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, an angel appeared to him, and he says, King Herod is going to try to kill the child, and you need to escape. You need to pack up, and you need to get out. And so right away, Joseph gets his new baby, He gets his wife, they pack up, and they get out of there, and they have to escape to Egypt. And while they're gone in Egypt, a terrible thing happens. King Herod was an evil man, evil king, and he didn't want any competition. And so he had heard that the Messiah, that the Savior, or the king, there was going to be a new king, this baby boy. He didn't want the competition. And so he decided... That he would kill, he would give an order to kill all the uh, baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. And even so, in doing that, it fulfilled a prophecy, which is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel is a reference to the Rachel of the Old Testament, who was the wife of Jacob. If you remember, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob married Rachel. And out of Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel. And God even changed Jacob's name to Israel. And that's how the nation of Israel got its name. And so uh, Rachel is just a symbol of the mothers, the mothers of Israel, weeping over their children. And probably all the whole nation of Israel, even though this slaughter of these innocent children only happened in Bethlehem, I imagine the whole nation was weeping over this injustice and, and the pain that these mothers experienced, these entire families. When Herod had died, an angel appeared to Joseph again. And he said, everybody that was trying to kill the baby has, is now dead. And you can come back to Israel. And so, Joseph again takes his family, and they're back on the road. And they travel to a town called Nazareth, and that's where Jesus was raised. And it's amazing, because all of these things happened, and they fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. You know, it was an Old Testament prophecy that the Savior would be from the house of David. And... Joseph is from the family of David, and it was a prophecy that he would be born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, but that he would be called a Nazarene. So even though he was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, and on top of that, there's an Old Testament prophecy that that describes that they would have to go out to Egypt to escape from King Herod, and so all of this happened, and Mary and Joseph, what, what are they thinking? throughout all of this this is a a, an awesome experience but also a painful experience a confusing experience very very uncommon have you ever thought you know i I love god Uh, i'm doing what god has called me to do so why are bad things happening to me have you ever thought that why why am i struggling why am I going through this? Like, if this is from God, why isn't it a little bit easier? Why aren't doors opening? If this is from God, I imagine that Joseph and Mary were asking some of those same questions. God, if this is from you, why, why was there no room in the inn? You ever thought about that? Like, man, couldn't, couldn't God go before them? And couldn't God have arranged for one room to open right at the time that they walk up then they would have had a room. If this is from God, why were all those baby boys killed in Bethlehem? We escaped, but why did that have to happen? And I'm sure that was a very painful experience, a painful emotion for Mary and Joseph that that happened because of them. They were part of the story that God was playing out. If this is from God, why did that have to happen? These are good questions. You know, why did the the family have to escape to Egypt? Why did they have to live their lives on the road? I don't know all of the answers, but this is what I do know, that Jesus knows pain. Jesus has experienced pain and just as you and I have experienced struggles, we've have experienced failures, disappointments, maybe people that we really, really love and people that we really look up to, maybe they've walked out on us. Maybe they've said hurtful things to us. Maybe they've caused us pain. Or maybe we feel like we're doing what God has called us to do, but still we encounter struggle after struggle. God, if this is really from you, why aren't there more open doors? <clears throat> if this is from you, you know why aren't things working out? Why, why don't I have the money for school? Or why is my family going through this? Or why is this family member sick? Why do they have cancer? And why did a loved one die? God, if this is from you, why did this happen? Jesus knows pain. And I think that he went through all of this to experience pain, and we can never say to him, God, you, you just don't understand what I'm going through. We can't say that to him. He, he experienced difficult times. He, he experienced so much rejection. He experienced this, this painful part of his early childhood. He experienced pain on a greater level than you and I ever have, ultimately, at the cross. The ultimate rejection from people, even from God. And when he was punished and nailed to a cross for our sins, sins that he didn't commit, death that he didn't deserve, he's experienced pain. And so when we experience pain, we can go to him and he can sympathize with us. He can identify with us and he can help us. In the high school that I went to, there were a lot of wealthy kids. A lot of my classmates were really wealthy, and they had these big houses, and their family drove nice cars. And then when they got old enough to drive a car, a lot of them drove nice cars. And and that wasn't my background. Like, uh, in my family, there were six of us living in a three-bedroom house, and so it's kind of small, one bathroom that we all shared. Uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of four kids, and so um, with three bedrooms, my mom and dad have one. So there's two bedrooms between the four kids, and so we always grew up with a roommate. And I'm the only boy in my family, so my roommate was always my sister. And I had a roomed with my sister until they got old enough to, and moved out of the house, which was awesome. Um, but I uh, I didn't want people, I didn't want my friends from high school coming over to my house. Like I was embarrassed. And I shouldn't have been. And looking back, I regret that because that was me being shallow and superficial. But I I was embarrassed at the time. Like, I I would never allow anybody to come over to my house. In fact, even when I got a girlfriend, the girlfriend who eventually became my wife, I I didn't want her to come over to my house. Like, I would always go over to her house, pick her up and take her out. I just didn't want anybody seeing where I lived and where I came from. But if I could do that all over again... I would, I would just relax a little bit, and I would go to God, and I would say, God, I'm grateful that I don't, I have a house. I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful that I have a lot more than what other, a lot of people have in this world, and have you ever felt, have you ever felt that way, like kind of, man, I, I didn't come from the best neighborhood. I didn't come from the, the most well-off family. Well, you know what? Jesus was born in a barn. And they laid him in a trough. So he can identify with us in everything that we go through. And if I could go back and do it all over again, that's what I would remember. That Jesus was born in a barn. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, man, this is great. This is great for me. Um, But going back to you know why, why did all this happen? We still have a lot of questions. Why do bad things happen to me? Even when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, when I'm doing what is good, and I feel like I'm a good person, why do bad things happen to me? Well, we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. If God were to remove all of the evil out of the earth, there's one thing that we wouldn't have anymore is we wouldn't have the power to choose. Because God leased this earth to us. Leased it to us. And he gave us the power to choose life or death, blessing or cursing. To choose him or anything else. And so, if he took all the evil out of the world, we wouldn't have the power to choose anymore, because we couldn't choose to do evil. And so God gave us the power to choose because He loves us. So we live in a, in a, in a broken world, but <clears throat> that, that doesn't do it for us. Like, why do why do bad things happen to good people? You know, you may have experienced a lot of pain from your past and something, a tragedy that happened to you. And you ask that question, God, why did this happen to me? Well, I'll tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't think. Anybody knows except for God, at least for now. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, Right now we see in a mirror, and it's just dim. We see dimly. But soon we will see face to face, and we will know even as we are known. God knows us. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. He knows everything that we're going through. But when we see him face to face, everything's going to become clear. And we're going to understand why certain things happened. But right now, we're just going to have to trust him. Because even though you don't know why it happened, God knows why it happened. Even you don't understand it, but God understands it. And he is trustworthy. We can put our trust in him, and we can rely on him. Amen? Deuteronomy 29.29 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, and that we may do all the words of the law. So, they're secret things. And these secret things belong to the Lord. And I don't think we're going to get to know the secret things until we get to heaven. But God has these secret things, and he's hiding them. He's taking care of them, and he can handle these things. And obviously, we can't because they're they're secret and they're they're kept from us for now. But there will come a time when we're in heaven and we're face-to-face with him and things become clear. But right now, all we have are the things that were revealed to us. This is what's revealed to us. This is the, the mirror that we see in. It has... So many answers. It has so much wisdom. These are the words of God, but they don't answer every single question. You're probably not going to find the answers to your math homework in here. You're not going to find all the answers of life's questions in there, but there's enough in there. That is actually all that we need for where we're at in life right now. And then one day... All the secret things that are hidden, one day, those will be revealed. But we know enough to know that God is faithful and God is trustworthy, and so we trust him. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, and that means God with us. He is God, and he came to earth to be with us. He came to Be with us in our struggle, with us in our pain, with us in our disappointments. Even with us when we sin and we do something stupid, we do something that we know we shouldn't do. And we feel the shame and we feel the guilt, but he is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. And just because you sin doesn't mean God is gone from you. But we have to learn to be quick to repent. Because he's God with us. He's Emmanuel. He's with us in our struggles. You know, God is not the cause of all of our struggles, but he can use our struggles to bring us closer to him. God with us. Closer to him. And so, these questions that we have, man, why do bad things happen? I don't know, but he is God with us. I don't know why we've experienced pain. I don't know why we have all these disappointments. Life is tough sometimes, and you think about it when you go to a funeral of a a family member who's lost, who's gone. And I've sat at at many funerals of uh, loved ones of mine, and I've thought, God, thank you. Sometimes, sitting at those memorial services, I feel thankfulness. Not because they're gone, not because they were taken too soon, But I'm thankful that death is not the end. I'm thankful that Jesus came. And if that person was a believer, then all their sins are gone and they get to be with Jesus. And they don't just disappear into nothing. That's what I'm thankful for when I sit at a a funeral of a believer. Thank you that death is not the end. And I thank you that when I die, (laughs) that is just the beginning. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And all those, all those baby boys that Herod killed in Bethlehem, you know what? I, th- I think God looks at death differently than we do. And although that was a painful time in those people's lives, and I can't imagine what they went through, but I just see all these little kids just running around heaven. And these little kids just, you know, running through, you know, there's probably Bible studies happening and they're just running right through and Bible pages are bl- blowing everywhere and, and I, I, think, I, cho- I, I believe, and I can't show you this in scripture, but I believe that little kids stay little until their parents get to heaven. And I believe that their parents get to raise them and they become older because that just sounds like justice to me. That sounds like something that God would do. But we sometimes see so temporarily. But God sees eternally. He sees the grand scheme of things. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says that we ought to celebrate the day of a man's death than the day of a man's birth. We don't do that, really. We do life celebrations, but we celebrate birthdays, right? But that is just a little bit different perspective, isn't it? Celebrate the day of a man's death. Because he goes to be with the Lord, which is a special thing, which is an awesome thing. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Isn't that awesome? Like, Jesus is not promising us a life free of struggle of trials, and of problems. And if anybody ever tells you that if you follow Jesus, all your problems are going to go away, they're not being truthful with you. Because Jesus said himself so many times, look, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross every day and follow me. People tried to follow him, and he says, look, even foxes have holes to go into. Birds have nests to go into. But I have no place to lay my head. You know what he was saying? He was saying, You really want to follow me, you need to be ready for one thing. I'm homeless. I don't own a home. I don't stay at a home. I travel. I I preach the good news to people. I heal people. I'm on the road. Can you do that? And he constantly tested people. Are you ready? He basically promised people a life of trials. James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy when you face trials. Because the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. Let me tell you something. God has a calling on your life. God has something great in store for you, and you will not be able to accomplish it without perseverance. It is not going to come easy. And so God might be testing you. I don't know, what's, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you have gone through. It could have been something that we don't have an answer to. It could have been the enemy that attacked you. It could have been just evil inside of another person and they were just in the flesh and they just acted evil towards you. It could have been your own doing. You reap what you sow. and So maybe you sowed some bad seeds and you got to reap them and you got to experience some pain from that. I don't know. That's not the way that it always is. Why am I going through a hard time? Is it because of my own sin in my life? No. No. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus talked about a tower that fell. And it was like 18 people that were killed in a a town called Siloam. Everybody was talking about it. Jesus said, did these people die because of their sin? No. They weren't any more of a sinners than the rest of you. And so, it's not always our sin, but sometimes we reap what we sow. And sometimes... God tests us. And that's the struggle that we're going through. A while back, God gave me this idea, and I just wrote it down. And it, and it kind of became a parable that I sometimes tell people. And it's just a short story. This there's this guy, and he feels like God speaks to him. Go and climb that mountain over there. See that mountain? It's yours. Go and climb it. Get to the top. You can do it. I want to teach you something. Do it. So the guy gets his gear together, and he goes to the mountain, and he starts climbing. And at first, he's just walking. And there's grass, and there's trees, and it's a beautiful mountain. As he gets higher, higher in elevation, the grass doesn't grow so well. The trees don't grow so well. And it's like desolate as you get higher it's getting colder but he keeps going then as he keeps going it's snowy it's icy it's hard to he's not walking anymore he's he's climbing and it's hard to climb the air is thin and he's out of breath and he's just looking around at all the signs sometimes we look for signs don't we and he starts counting them up i can barely breathe the air is so thin. I'm freezing. It's so cold up here. There's no life up here. Uh, the rock is loose, and I keep slipping. Uh, there's snow, and there's ice, and I keep falling on that. I think this is a sign that I'm not supposed to be on this mountain. I'm not supposed to be climbing this mountain. Because if God called me to climb this mountain, surely all of these things wouldn't be happening. So he climbs down the mountain. And a few days later, God speaks to him and says, what are you doing? He says, well, I read the signs. I know that that was not the mountain that I was supposed to climb. And God says to him, that was the mountain you were supposed to climb. And those were signs. They weren't signs that you were to quit. They were signs that you were near the top. All those signs meant that you were close to the top. And so sometimes we're tested and we go through a struggle and we think, man, this can't be God. And so we back out of it. We quit. We give up. You have to discern. You have to spend time with God. You have to spend time in prayer, spend time in his word. And you have to discern when it's an attack from the enemy, when it's just life happening, when it's just another person acting ugly, or when it's a test from God. But... There is struggle. There is trial. And there is pain. Um, A couple years ago, Christina and I, we were inner city youth pastors in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it was kind of a wild set of circumstances. Long story of how we got in that role. But it wasn't our main job. We just kind of did that as a passion project. But there was all these inner city kids. And We would go to Project Housing, and we had buses, so we would drive our buses right into the worst neighborhoods in our city, and we would pick up teenagers, and we would bring them back to our church, and we'd have these services, and we'd have small groups, and we'd feed them pizza every single service, and it was a really powerful time in our lives, a really hard time. We met a a girl who was pregnant, and um, she was, how old at the time? 16 she was pregnant and she uh connected with Christina my wife and when time came for the baby to be born Christina was there at the hospital and and just going through that with her and she had the baby and it was it was an awesome experience we got to be a part of of that baby when the baby was little and we got to give her some stuff we had some stuff from from when our babies were younger and Um, but then this girl got into a little bit of trouble as the baby got older, and she got in some trouble with the police. She made some bad choices, and so the the state stepped in, and they said, we're going to take the baby, and we're going to put her into the foster system because you're not being responsible. And so this young girl said, well, can Kevin and Christina keep her? Can they be her foster parents? Because she wanted to get her back. She wanted us to foster that baby girl for a time until she did the right things and she got back on the right track, and then she would get her back. And so she asked us if we would do that, and after praying about it, we agreed to do that. And we went through all the foster training, and, and we became foster parents. And we took this little girl in. Her name was Kyra. And uh, I think I have a picture of her. I want to show you. This is Kyra, just a beautiful little girl, uh, wild but joyful, and and just a a, a beautiful little girl. And uh, we took her in, and she she uh, slept upstairs in a bedroom. Or the girl, the other her, uh, our daughters had bedrooms upstairs, so she was upstairs with them, and she had her own room. This nursery, and we had it all decked out. She slept in this crib, and uh, I say slept, but she really didn't sleep most of the time. It was a hard process. Not everything was uh, was rosy. Yeah, this is one day when Christina's out, and Kyra just did not want to be with me. She wanted to be with Christina, and she came to call Christina mommy, and so we had Kyra for nine months, and When you add another child into your home, it's a big deal. Like, it changes the whole family dynamic. Changes your schedule. Changes your life. Because uh, a toddler is like a tornado every single day in your house. I remember coming up to Kyra early in the morning. She always woke up like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, which is not when I usually get up. And Kyra would be crying, and so I would go up and, And there were a couple of mornings, a few mornings, when she had a dirty diaper first thing in the morning. And there were a few mornings when you would go up and the diaper would be off. She figured out how to take it off. And she figured out how to get her hands in it and rub it all over the walls and all over her hair and her face and everything. And that is when you go in and you just stare. Like, and then you go, Christina! Christina! You come up here, please. You just throw them in the bath at that point and hose them down. But it, it, was, it was a difficult process, but it was awesome. And our, our goal, our hope, was that one day we would be able to return Kyra to her mom, that her mom would get back on the, on the right track, and then the state would say, okay, she could take her back. But that didn't happen because Kyra's mom kept getting into trouble and eventually the state said, okay, this is going to go before a judge. And the judge said, it's officially uh, time to remove her from your life permanently. And you've, you've lost your right to parent this little girl. And so we were always planning on giving her back to her mom. And that the state said, it's not going to happen. She's going to be adopted She needs to be adopted by another family. She needs to go into a forever home. Do you want to take her? And so we really prayed hard over that, and uh, that was was difficult. We prayed about it, and we really felt like she was somebody else's daughter. And as much as we wanted to keep her, we just didn't feel right about it, and we would have. But that was very hard to say no to the state. And so they found some other parents to her. And, and that day that they came to the house, they were nice. They brought a card. They brought flowers for us. They, they said, thank you for taking care of her. But when they took her and, and tried to put her in their car and drive away, it was pain. Like, there are no words to describe what that's like after nine months. And this girl is basically... Our daughter, and she calls us mommy and daddy. And it was hard. And then eventually they moved out of the state. And they moved into moved to St. Louis. And so it was very difficult for us to even visit her. And that was a painful experience. God, why did we go through that? Nothing happened like we planned it to happen. The plan was always to go back to her mom. And Time after time, nothing worked out like we thought it was going to happen. Why? Why? Well, God knows the secrets. He knows the mysteries. He holds those and he keeps those. And we don't always know. But I do know this, that God is a redeemer. Jesus, one of his names was Emmanuel. Another one of his names was Redeemer. In fact, our old friend Zechariah, he prophesied, this is the one who is going to redeem Israel and they called him Redeemer with a capital R and so fast forward a couple years and this girl that we knew from our old youth group she has another baby girl and she gets a second chance and the state says as long as you're doing well you can you can raise your new daughter but she gets into trouble again and she's just a kid and She comes from a different world than you or I. So she gets into trouble, and the foster um, officials, workers, they call us, and they say, can you take this other little girl in? Her name is Kalia, Kyra's sister Kalia. Do we have a picture of her? That's baby Kalia. Can you take Kalia in? (sighs) Man, can we even go through all of that again? They say, well, It's not as bad as the first time, and we believe that she can get her life back on track. And we want her to do some things. We've got a list of things that she needs to do to get her life in order. And when she does, then hopefully you can give her back to her mom. And so we prayed about it, and we felt like, yes, we need to do this. And so we took Kalia in, and we had Kalia and Kalia was the best baby ever. She slept all through the night. She was the sweetest baby. She, uh, she would just, okay, that's me and Emmy and Kalia and uh, Double Trouble right there. Um, she was the best. As soon as she would see you, she would just give you a big hug, and her head would just bury into your neck and shoulder, and it was an amazing experience. And we got to spend time with her mom, and we helped her mom move out. We brought a bunch of our friends, our interns, and and we moved her into a brand-new apartment. And she got new stuff, and she got a new job, and she got back on our feet. And there came a day after we had her, about three months, and the foster worker said, you can bring her back to her mom. And we brought her to her mom. And we gave her to her mom again. And until... To this day, her mom is raising her. And God redeemed all the pain that we went through from the first experience. It, what we would have never had Kalia if we hadn't gone through the Kyra experience. We would have never had that. We saw God redeem the whole situation. Jesus is a redeemer. God redeemed the pain that Mary and Joseph went through because their son is going to be the Messiah, the Savior. God redeemed the pain that Jesus went through. Even though even his own brothers didn't believe for a time, they came around. Even though as some of his disciples, even his closest disciple, Peter rejected him and denied him when he needed him the most, Peter came around. And when he was nailed to the cross, he redeemed us. And that, for him, is all the redemption that he ever wanted. Jesus did not come to this earth to be born in a stable and laid in a manger. Jesus came to this earth to die on a cross so that we could be redeemed. And so, whatever pain that you've been through, whatever setbacks you've had, disappointments, hurts from people that are close to you, Jesus is a redeemer. And there will come a day when you see him face to face and he will bring justice to every injustice. And he will redeem all the pain. And all the the sin that we experience, all the, the sin and the temptation that we fall into Sometimes time after time after time, Jesus can redeem it all. He didn't die on the cross for no reason. He died for you and me. He's a redeemer. And even that death on the cross was redeemed because he rose again on the third day. He didn't stay dead. And we don't stay dead in our sins. We come alive in Christ. And everything is going to be redeemed. By his stripes, we are healed. That person that you know that has cancer or is terminally ill, by his stripes, they are healed. And it's going to happen in this life or in the next, but they'll be healed and it'll all be redeemed. He's a redeemer. He's so good. Bow your heads. Close your eyes with me. As a matter of fact, we're going we're to sing a song in a minute, so you guys just stand to your feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your only Son, our Redeemer. He redeems all the painful experiences that we've been through. He redeems all the the hurt we've encountered, all the struggles that we face, and we say, why me? Why did this happen to me? Lord, I thank you that you're trustworthy, and we put our hope in you, We don't understand everything, but you hold the secrets, and we trust you. You can handle them. And Lord, I thank you that you came to redeem us of our sins. That even though we don't deserve forgiveness, you give it to us anyways because of your love for us. I'm so grateful for your love. Thank you, Jesus. I want to tell you uh, tonight, uh, we're going we're to sing a worship song, but I want to invite you to, to come forward if you're here and you need some redemption. And it could be you're repenting and you're turning away from a, a sin that is keep tripping you up time after time, or it could be that you just experienced some pain. And you just need God's grace. The apostle Paul told God, I have this thorn in my flesh. And I, he begged God to take it away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm telling you, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And so if you need redemption, if you, you need God's help understanding You need God's help just redeeming the failures, the pain that you've been through. I'm going to invite you to come forward tonight. You can stand, you can kneel if you want, but just come forward. And as we worship, I think it's just a sign of surrender. Just stepping out from where you are and taking a step and saying, I need some redemption. God, here I am. I need you. Taking a bold step and saying, I need help. I need prayer. I need a a redemption. God is here for you. And there's probably going to be somebody that comes up and prays with you because that's who we are. We pray with each other. So let's respond to God and let's get redemption.